So, Father in heaven, we do thank you again for just a great time of worship tonight. Lord, we know a lot of people are out because they're doing some fellowshipping. Some of our men are out with their groups, and uh, it's a good time for them to spend some time together. But we thank you for the ladies that you brought here on this last evening. And, Lord, we thank you so much for this book of Ecclesiastes and just... uh, the reality and the practical wisdom that it has to teach us and father just to remind us about our destiny and our eternal home so lord uh, once again grant us your wisdom and understanding by your holy spirit as we look at it tonight in jesus name amen so hopefully last week was uh, a bit helpful for you by giving you the background of ecclesiastes and explaining a little bit about solomon and his background and you know this privileged child that was became a king and was the one who built the temple of the Lord and and yet you know you face this perplexing thing when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes because it seems so dismal and negative and meaningless meaningless everything's meaningless well if you're here this weekend you heard a great message by my husband (laughs) I thought it was a great message Um, a great overview of Ecclesiastes But as I mentioned last week, when I did this study, actually 10 years ago, first taught it, um, and I left my book at home. I was going to read a quote uh, out of that study guide, but um, one of the things that Dee Breston, the author of that study guide, um, brought out was how it teaches us about contentment. You know, at every, we're all at different stages of life and different seasons of life, and they can change dramatically. but, you know, godliness with contentment is a great gain, right? And sometimes there are some seasons that are more difficult than others. And um, so Solomon has a lot to teach us, a lot of practical wisdom to teach us about. Uh, it's a, a big warning not to view life under the sun from an earthly perspective apart from God, that, that we're constantly maintaining a heavenly perspective. Because if we don't, then things can become quickly hopeless and meaningless for us. And um, it's like I mentioned last week, you know, for the wisest, richest man that ever lived, you could summarize the book quite simply. Remember, as Danny even also mentioned last week, this is an autobiography. He's penning this late in his life, reflecting back on the many years. Okay, he reigned for 40 years. And and for a good amount of that time, it was just a life of self-indulgence and personal pursuits in his own quest to find meaning in life, but he was, find, he was searching apart from God. So you might say a simple summary of the book is don't waste your life <laughs> like I did. Um, so the first thing I mentioned last week um, about contentment and finding contentment, we're going to look at kind of four basic points about that tonight, but uh, In essence, the first thing we have to know is that contentment will never be found under the sun. So life under the sun. In other words, you'll see that phrase all throughout the book, some 30 times. And when that's used, it simply refers to viewing life apart from God. With God out of the picture, just life on your own, your own personal pursuits. And, and also, as I mentioned before, if you think of it almost like if this were a film, if this were a movie, it's almost like Solomon is constantly reflecting back to his perspective and then flashing forward to, you know, an eternal perspective. It's, it, it tends to, to shift back and forth. So, again, the first note is that 
But the obvious thing is contentment can never be found viewing life under the sun because over and over again, you see how he talks about life being meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So obviously, life apart from God, all his meaningless pursuits in chapter 2, it talks about all the things that he tried, all the things that he pursued, you know, building projects and wine and women and song and livestock and, you know, gardening and big bands and women, whatever, you know, all those things that he sought to pursue and find pleasure in. Well, there was certainly a lot of pleasure in it, but he, he always ended up feeling empty. And so if you look at chapter 2, verse 24, he says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? So there is no true lasting hope or meaning in life. There is no real satisfaction or enjoyment apart from God. And so Solomon had to learn through a very long and painful experience that nothing on this earth can fully satisfy. Remember, like I said, Mick Jagger sang about it. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try and I try. <laughs> and that was, you know, Solomon could have written that. So where does contentment come from? So I'm just, tonight, I'm just going to kind of give a, a, some quick bullet points because hopefully you've read through the rest of the book. Technically, our reading plan, we end tomorrow with chapter 12, but we're, we are going to land there. So as women, what are some of the things that Solomon points out that help us find contentment in life? And one is that the first thing is that contentment begins with that eternal perspective. Um, chapter 3, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time for every season, all the rhythms of life. And then you get down to verse 11, and we find that we have this, what is it they call it, this hole in our heart that only God can fill. Verse 11 says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He said eternity in their hearts, and that's why nothing on earth will ever fully satisfy us. That's why no amount of material things, no relationship, you know, whatever joys and pleasures there are in life, they're just little glimpses, they're just little tastes of heaven. You know, they're all gifts of God that should be enjoyed. You know, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. But we're never going to be fully satisfied. You know, you always want to go see another sunset. <laughs> you want to have another funny movie. You want to have another great time with your family and friends. I mean, all those experiences in life that are and so enjoyable, have you noticed how fleeting they are? They come and they go. They come and they go. And I think those are just things that God allows us to enjoy. And it's just, it pulls on our heartstring. Because one day, that pleasure will never end. One day, all those longings and all those things that are temporary now, we'll get to enjoy fully in heaven. And so knowing that's our eternal destiny. We were created for God, our creator. He has made us in his very own image and likeness. We were created to have a personal relationship with him. They were son, Jesus Christ. And we were created for a place, a home in heaven. And so 
even though we might feel at home at our home and we and we always can't wait to get back home, right? When you've traveled for a while, it's nice to travel and visit places, but isn't there always something great about coming back home and the, all the comforts of being home? So I feel like that's what heaven's going to be. When we're finally home at last and like every comfort you could think of that you would enjoy on earth will be completely fulfilled in heaven. So we have to know that we were created individually and uniquely and specifically by God for his purposes. He first and foremost wants us to have a relationship with him because ultimately we're going, if we know him as Lord and Savior, we're going to go live with him forever. And so the important thing, if you look at verse chapter 3, verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Because Solomon gives this warning right up, right up front that the reason how we live now matters is because we'll be judged for our actions in eternity. Now, Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, okay? We're not going to be judged for our sins. Those, the punishment for our sins has been carried away on the cross. That's what the cross was all about. Our sins were nailed to the cross. We were cleansed. We're forgiven. But... There will be a judgment seat of Christ in every word that we speak, all of our actions, what we did in this life for the kingdom, how we used our time, our talents, and abilities are going to be judged. We'll be called to account for what we did with the things that God has given us. And that's why how we live now matters. And that's why we have to keep an eternal perspective that that our life and what we do does have meaning and have purpose, not only for this life, but for eternity, and will be called to account. So the only way to find contentment in, in, in this life is to realize that we're not living for this life. This is temporary. We're just passing through. We're living for our eternal home. So a second way to find contentment is facing life realistically. And this is where Solomon spends a lot of time in the book. Because he definitely takes a very realistic view of life. If we're one of those that just wants to see everything on the positive side and all through rose-colored glasses, and it's good, everything's good, everything's going to work out. All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Not just everything works for good. <laughs> um, so Solomon, throughout the book, he is consistently presenting us with the realities of life. And so in some sense, it can shatter our illusions or our false expectations because it's, we've all experienced we live in a sin-cursed and fallen world. And, and because of that, we all experience the consequences of sin. And um, this is something that Solomon very clearly observed, you know, the sad things of life, the oppression of life, the injustices of life. Uh, like in chapter 4, uh, in that chapter he talks about injustice and oppression. He talks about endless toil. You know, why do you work, 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 work? For what? Um, he talks about loneliness. And it's, it's interesting to me that I think many of the things that Solomon points out are, are like revealing of things I think he struggled with. Um, I think he struggled with loneliness. For all his thousand women, for all of his many servants, 
for his 12 governors over the 12 tribes. I mean, you know, he had any and everything, but I think he probably really struggled with loneliness. Um, in chapter 5, he talks a lot about the emptiness of wealth um, and that riches will never satisfy. If you look at uh, chapter 5, look it down at verse 10. <laughs> Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. I don't know if it was Rockefeller, one of those rich, wealthy men, they asked, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. <laughs> no matter how much you have, I mean, the eyes of man are never satisfied, and certainly the more you get, the more you want, but the more you want, the less satisfied you become. And then he nails it too when he says in verse, um, you know, 15 and 16, you know, Naked a man came from his mother's womb, and as he came, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Now, don't misunderstand that verse. Absolutely, we're to lay up treasures in heaven, and the things that we do that have an impact for the kingdom of God will carry forward, especially the relationships that we've built, especially the people that we've shared Christ with and brought into the family of God. Those relationships go with us. But in terms of material things, you brought nothing into this world and you're taking nothing out. Even though they might dress you up in your finest dress, it's not going with you anywhere. Um, look at chapter 6. And this is one of the things that, that Solomon reflected on several times, what I think also reveals one of his own struggles. Chapter 6, verse 1, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor, so he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and men live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he can't enjoy his prosperity without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. So in reflecting on those that may have great wealth and prosperity in life, it's so sad that those that do often enjoy it so little. Because the more you have, the more you have to maintain, the more you're concerned about, the more you have to protect, <laughs> right? So sometimes I wondered, you know, Solomon may uh, certainly had some pleasure out of all of his riches, but in the end, he, it was all the same, meaningless. It's meaningless. Um, and then he reflect, reflects on this other reality of life that we all must face, and that's, you know, death is the destiny of every man. That's what it says in chapter 7. Um, better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting because death is the destiny of every man. The living must take it to heart. We need to face the fact that we do have, there is a life beyond the grave and we need to know which direction we're headed. There's only one of two places. Um, in chapter 8, verse 8, he mentions that no one has power over their day of death. We don't know if we're going to die. We were just talking in the group tonight, just, you know, uh, some of the leaders and having friends or acquaintances that suddenly died, boom, 40-year-olds that died of massive heart attacks or a young 20-year-old that just suddenly died. It's amazing. You know, we never know when our time is coming. Um, chapter 9, verse 2 alludes to this again. 
all share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, they all have a common destiny, death. We, death is going to come to all of us. Um, and of course, death, life and death are in the hands of God alone. So no one knows when that day is going to come. And something else, another reality of life that we need to come to grips with is that there's no way we can predict the future. Um, chapter 3, verse 22, he writes, Who can bring man to see what will happen after him? You can plan and prepare, and we should, but there's no guarantees about what outcomes we may face. Um, chapter 6 again, verse 12 says, Who can tell man what will happen under the sun after he's gone. Chapter 7, verse 14, man cannot discover anything about his future. Chapter 8, verse 7, since no man knows the future, who can tell him what's to come? So again, he reflects over and over about the fact that there's no way you can predict the future. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, he said, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits him. So our, our destiny on this life, it's all in God's hands. You know, there's nothing that passes through God's hands that he doesn't allow. And so we have to accept, you know, and he wrote that somewhere else. I'm trying to remember where that verse is. You know, whether it's, um, whether it's good or bad. Oh, chapter 7. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider God's made one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. So just another reality of life we need to be prepared for. Yes, we should plan. Yes, we should prepare as much as possible. But sometimes you just never know what can come out of left field. But if we know that God is ultimately in control and God allows nothing to happen apart from his permission, apart from his will, then we need to rest assured that we're in God's hands and we don't have to worry. We can trust him for the outcome. So another reality in addition to uh, the future being uncertain is also that life is very unpredictable. <laughs> have you figured that one out? <laughs> Just like I read that when times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, remember God made one as well as the other. Then he has this interesting perspective in chapter 9, verse 11. He says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, as you would expect or imagine, that the fastest person's going to win, right? Or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. Now, those things can happen, but not necessarily. Because, as he observes, time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance. You know, again, we live in a sin-cursed earth, sin-cursed world. And you never know what can interrupt your best laid plans. Time and chance. So we can't predict. Misfortune can come upon us and we can never predict those things. And finally, he also, another reality of life is that sometimes life is just complicated. No matter how much we try, no matter how hard we try to figure it out, we will never fully understand why things happen the way they do. Turn back to chapter 8 and look at verse 16. 
chapter 8, verse 16. He said, When I applied my, man, my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seen sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he really cannot comprehend it all. I mean, there's just going to be difficulties and complexities and things in life that just throw us for a loop and stump us that we can't figure out. And sometimes we just have to go back to that promise and that great declaration in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. And there are some things that we're just not going to know until we get to heaven. But what we have to rely on is the rest of that verse. It says, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law, so that we may follow God's commands. But we won't have it all figured out. He hasn't revealed everything, but he has revealed a lot. And those are the things that we need to pursue, the wisdom and knowledge that he has already revealed in his word. Because just like Second um, Peter reminds us, he has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness. So then a third way that we can be content or achieve attentment, contentment, and I really like this one, it's when we learn to enjoy life and every blessing as a gift of God. And I mentioned this last week, but I want us to just look at this because seven times he emphasizes this. So woven in and out of all of that meaningless, meaningless vanity of vanities, he'll always come back to the present and reflect on this one thing. So let's look at each of these quickly. Go back to chapter 2. So I'm going to show you the seven times he tells us this. Um, starting in chapter 2, verse 24. A man can do nothing better than, he'll say that several times, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or drink or find enjoyment? So, symbols and pleasures, basic necessities of life, basic pleasures of life. We all love to eat, right? We, we need to eat. We need to have nourishment. We need to have, you know, beverage, water, things to sustain us. But he's saying... There's nothing better than to enjoy your eating and drinking, not overindulge to excess, but to enjoy that as a gift of God. And, and I think this is one we all can struggle with, and find satisfaction in his work. Because it's easy for us to become really discontent with our job or, you know, dependent again on that season of life. I can remember when I had little kids and I felt like I was just all over the place all the time and it was the same old, same old, wash, clean, dishes, laundry, running the kids here and there. It's the same old, you know, round and around you would go every day. And whew, I remember there were days that I, I was struggling to enjoy it. <laughs> but we were made to work. Just like it says in Ephesians, right? Um, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He created us to work, which God prepared in advance for us to do and do it with enjoyment because he's telling us it's a gift of God. So that's the first one. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. He says it again. I know there's nothing better for man than to be happy and to do good while they live. 
that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. This is a gift of God. So the work that he's given us to do is a gift, and we should find enjoyment in it. It's a gift of God. Look at verse 22. He'll say it again. So I saw there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. Skip over to chapter 5. Here's the fourth place, chapter 5, verse 18. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days God has given him, for that is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, he says it again, this is a gift of God. And he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. You see, it all has to do with our perspective. Are we going to complain about it or are we going to see it as something that God has given us to be productive and enjoy? Chapter 8, 15, verse 15. Chapter 8, verse 15. So I commended the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of life God has given him under the sun. Two more. Chapter 9, verse 7. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife or your husband, <laughs> whom you love, all the days of your life. I remember when I was teaching on this and in this section, we were talking about, you know, what does it mean to be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil? And that had to do with, like, times of celebration. And uh, I was just reflecting on the things that, you know, I, I just happened to think, it occurred to me that there are things that I just have sitting around in my house that, that I seldom use, but I, I just love having them there. Like, I got china. I bought myself china after I got married. And, and I try to use it, you know, not nearly as much as I should, but I remember I was teaching through this, I'm like... Use the china. Why have it if you're not going to use it? Use the china. I had candles sitting around. I have cured myself of that. I had candles that just sat around my house. And I'm like, burn the candles. Burn the candles. And you know what? I burn them nearly every night. Not one or two or three, but about four or five. I love, they smell good. I get those clean ones, you know, like soy or coconut or clean burn, you know. Um, I love the way they smell. I love the cozy light that it gives. To me, that's simple pleasure. So, gals, whatever you got sitting around the house, I'm like, burn the candles and use the china, okay? Enjoy life. Enjoy life. And finally, he says in uh, chapter 11, verse 8, however many years a man or woman may live, let him enjoy them all. So the bottom line here is enjoy every gift and value the simple pleasures of life, especially your relationships, especially your candles or china or whatever it is that you enjoy. Enjoy them all. And finally, here's where it all comes to a climax. The fourth point, how we find contentment, it only comes when we fear God and keep his commands. Because throughout the book, you may have noticed that you know, Solomon assumes there's a God. He mentions God repeatedly. Like, there's no question in his mind that, that God exists. And he gets to chapter 12, and he, he says, Remember your 
creator. Like, this is how you got here. He's the one that put you on earth. He's in control of everything. He's the one that gives you life and breath. You know, there's no question in Solomon's mind that there is a God. And so, because he's the creator and we are his creation, he has absolute control over his creation. So Solomon urges us to pursue that relationship with God and enjoy the gift of life and enjoy every blessing he bestows. But he gives us this warning that we also have to submit to God or suffer his judgment. Um, in chapter 12, he concludes all of this reflection by saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of the trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. And, and then if you continue on, it's that, that wonderful metaphor where he describes the body as it ages because the older you get, the more the body just begins to wear down and it's just flat hard to enjoy life when you were young and more energetic and stronger and had a spring in your step and all those things, right? Life just gets harder. But he says again in verse 6, remember him, your creator, before, before it's too late. Before, and he uses these metaphors again, the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel is broken at the well and dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. What he's saying is before you die, <laughs> Because if you fail to acknowledge God in your life, if you fail to make him your Lord and Savior, if you're living life apart from God, he says it again in verse 8. If you die apart from God, then again, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless apart from God. And so he wraps it up for us. Verse 9, not only was the teacher wise, but he imparted knowledge to the people he pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. There's a whole book of them, the book of Proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. And sure enough, it's here in the Holy Word of God and the collection of the words of Scripture. The words of the wise are like goads, like cattle prods. Think of it that way. Collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Isn't it interesting that he would use that metaphor, shepherd, and God being our great shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there's no end, and of much study, wearies the body. Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Here's why. This is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, a routine, whether it is good or evil. So, you know, we can get so preoccupied with our day-to-day -day routines, with our job, with our work, with our families, and, and sometimes we just forget, and we're not even thinking about the Lord or who we serve or where we're headed because we're so consumed in the here and now. So how do you live in the fear of God? How do you keep his commandments? How did Solomon get back on course and live his final days in fear and wisdom and the knowledge of God? I think he took his own advice. Um, he was the one that wrote the book of Proverbs, right? 
And one of my favorite passages in Proverbs, and by the way, uh, scholars believe that the three books written by Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon was probably written in his early years uh, uh, before the 60 concubines <laughs> or the 60 wives, um, a woman he truly fell in love with. And Proverbs probably in his middle years and, of course, Ecclesiastes at the end. But here's what he said. I think he, I think he took his own advice in Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. And I think Solomon came back around to that truth that he had gotten his eyes off the Lord. He had lived a life full of self-indulgence and pleasure and empty pursuits and finally came back around what he had gotten off track of in the beginning. Like Danny wrote down, what had he neglected? He had neglected the word of God in his life. I think that's what he came back to. And that's what steadied him. So in the words of Jesus, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. You've got to keep your eyes and your nose in the book and let that word wash over you every day and keep you reminded of your creator and keep you reminded of your eternity. I wanted to close with this um, one poem. I don't know if you've heard it before. This is attributed to Sir Francis Drake from 1577. He was one of those great sailors that circumnavigated. Like in three years, he sailed completely around the world. He captained that ship the entire trip. And he wrote this one famous poem, Disturb Us, Lord. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we, because we dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of heaven, of the new heaven, to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. So we ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future and strength, courage, hope, love, and I will add, and contentment. Amen. So, Lord, we do pray you would disturb us. Lord, don't let us settle for earthly things. Don't let us get our mind on the horizontal plane and, and the things of this life. Lord, teach us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on heaven. And, Father, I pray that that would... Um, change and transform us more into your image and Lord give us a continual hunger and thirst to live for you until you come to take us home I pray in Jesus name amen all right